Today, we are introducing a new segment, the Words Matter Library, sponsored by Audible. We all read a lot of books, and now we can listen to those same titles on Audible. In the Words Matter Library, we'll talk about the books we are reading, the books we like, and the books we think you might like. Audible, because words matter. Okay, I'm very excited today because we have Steve Kornacki here to talk about his amazing new book, The Red and the Blue. And Steve, I've got to tell you, reading this book is just nostalgia for me because it's kind of like my childhood growing up with my grandparents and my dad always obsessing over politics and seeing it through their lens of being staunch Reagan supporters Mm -hmm. and then voting for H.W. Bush and then some of the family split and voted for Perot Mm -hmm. and had very strong feelings about Bill Clinton, who is in neighboring Arkansas. Mm. So it has been interesting to finally study it and to have a little separation. And I'm just so excited that we have you in here. Today. Oh, thank you. No, and I just doing the book, it's it's kind of what you're describing. I had these skeletal memories of the 90s. It's when I kind of grew up too. There were some things I remembered vividly, other things I remembered only in, in fragments. And it was this it was so fun to go back and sort of excavate all of the, the, the news coverage from the time and, and just discover all of this new context and meaning. And it was I had a blast putting this together. Well, it makes me feel a little old when you say that because I lived through this. <laughs> I lived through it on Capitol Hill with Daniel Patrick Moynihan. I lived through it at NBC News with Chris Matthews and Tim Russert. And I have to say, you nailed it. That means a lot to hear. Thank you. And I yeah. need to. I was a bad hostess. I should have introduced Adam Levine, our executive producer, is joining today because he literally lived this story. I feel like it should have been, this is your life, Adam. (laughs) But first, tell us how you got the title because I think there's some significance there and what people remember and what your perception of where we talk about red states and blue states. Because before the 1990s, when you watched election returns on a network, the Republicans could be green, the Democrats could be red. Sometimes I even remember one election night where the Democrats were red and the Republicans were blue. So, Steve, as you're saying, this is something that was new in the 90s, right? Yeah. The red and the blue, I think that is the political legacy of the 90s. The fact that we now have this vocabulary for the map, the presidential map we get every four years, the red states and the blue states has such deep meaning right now in this country. It's not just that blue means Democratic and red means Republican. There is almost there is a cultural meaning to red and blue right now. To be part of blue America means something very distinct. To be part of red America, to identify with that means something very distinct. And those concepts are a product of the 90s. If you had said that term at the start of the 90s, nobody would have known what you're talking about. And what it really was, all of the political battles, all of the wars of the 90s kind of built to that perfect tie election in 2000, Bush versus Gore, that almost perfect tie electoral map, 537 votes in Florida, and and, and red and blue that just tell the story of that, of that almost perfect division of the country. And I think it's the division we've been living with since. Well, and that's why I highlighted the line in the book, kind of towards the beginning of the book. You wrote, Red America and Blue America, as we now know them, were born on November 7th, 2000, the product of an entire nation torn perfectly in half. Yeah, and if you remember that map, I mean, I think we kind of take this for granted now, but if you think back from 2000, back, say, a generation before that, this country had elections, presidential elections, that produced consensus. Ronald Reagan won 49 states Absolutely. in 1984, and he came 3,000 votes away. If he'd beaten Walter Mondale in Mondale's home state, just 3,000 more votes, he would have gone 50 for 50. You know, uh, Reagan in 1980 won 44. 
Bush in 88 won 40. We had lopsided elections. So it was not taken for granted as it is now that each party kind of walks into the general election with like, you know, 45 percent of the vote and 20 states and all of these things. Um, But when you looked at the map that kind of took shape on election night 2000, you saw the entire South turning red for Republicans. And that included Bill Clinton's Arkansas, Al Gore's Tennessee. And the whole promise of Clinton and Gore at the start of the decade was we're the Democrats who can win back the South. Because the South way back had been the Democratic stronghold. And by the end of the decade, Gore can't even carry his home state. And the Clintons moved to New York. To that point, let's go back. Because you go back to that election of 1984. And look, politics is about people and about characters. And you have some characters in this book. And you start the journey there. Mm -hmm. And you start it at that Democratic convention in San Francisco. And Mario Cuomo. To set up the struggle in the 90s that became for the soul and the direction of the Democratic Party... Talk to us, set the scene in San Francisco, 1984. Start with Cuomo and we'll get to the other guy in a minute. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, 1984, right? Walter Mondale is going to be nominated and Democrats show up at the convention. They kind of know they're going to get trounced by Reagan in the fall. I don't think they even knew how bad it was going to be, but they, they knew it wasn't going to be good. And so the whole subtext of the 1984 convention was who's going to emerge from here for 1988? Who's going to emerge from here to be the future of the party? And they were already demoralized because Carter had gotten wiped out in 1980. His presidency was not regarded as successful. This notion that Republicans had sort of a lock on the presidency, a lock on the Electoral College, that was starting to take hold. So it was a party that was starting to get a little desperate. It was a party that was getting demoralized. It was a party that was facing a a pretty solid defeat in November. And on the opening night, The keynote speaker steps forward. And at this point, he's in his second year as governor of New York. He has not much of a national reputation, national profile. He had endorsed Walter Mondale during the primaries, helped Mondale in New York. His name was Mario Cuomo. And Cuomo is going to deliver the keynote speech. And it is this incredible moment. And and it's it's amazing now we have the, the, the ability, you can go on YouTube or whatever, you can go back and watch this and see how that entire mood I'm describing that that had a hold on the Democratic Party changes almost instantly with this guy's speech. As somebody, I was fortunate enough that when I worked for Moynihan in New York and the Moynihan and the Cuomo camps didn't mm-hmm. always get along. Mm-hmm. But I remember going to a speech, watching Mario Cuomo at a union event in Albany, New York. It was that 94 when he lost. Yeah. And I'm sitting next to him, the Moynihan campaign manager, but it was such a great speech. I jumped up and started clapping just, and you, and you set that mood, but it was a dark sort of tough speech he gives to those those delegates in, in San Francisco. Yeah, the tale of two cities, because Reagan had just, he had, he had coined this term, he'd been using this term, that America was a city on a hill. And Mario Cuomo, the theme of his speech was, there's another part to the shining city, you know, where the glitter doesn't glow, one of the lines from it. And he talked about, there's despair in America. This was a, a, a almost a lyrical speech, almost a poetic speech. He talked about the experience of watching his father work Seven days a week in his store in Queens with calluses on his hands, with blood, like the hard work, the immigrants love for America, rising as Mario Cuomo did from that background, taking pride in his family, pride in his heritage, pride in what America offered him. And this idea, he talked about the family of America, you know, it's the, he had been the family of New York was his theme here, the family of America. And it really, it was, it was a Valentine to New Deal liberalism. It was a valentine to that legacy of the Democratic Party that at that moment was really under attack from Ronald Reagan, that at that moment seemed to be in disfavor with the electorate. And Democrats there started to think, they looked at Reagan and they said, here's an actor turned president, the great communicator, right? That's his (laughs) reputation. Here's what we need. Here's what we've been missing. We've got our own great communicator. We've got our own mesmerizing order who can sell the great deal 
who can sell the New Deal yep. and can win back all these lost, the Reagan Democrats, we called them in the 1980s. There were delegates with tears in their eyes in San Francisco. The next day, they're talking, this is the next Kennedy. This is, we've never seen anything like this. 1988, I swear Mario Cuomo, especially after Gary Hart imploded, Mario Cuomo could have had the Democratic nomination if he wanted it. If you want to hear more of our interview with Steve Karnacki and his important new book, The Red and the Blue, listen to the full Words Matter podcast available Monday. And here's a special deal for our listeners. You can download The Red and the Blue by Steve Karnacki on Audible right now for free. Here's what you do. Go to audible.com slash words matter or text words matter to 500-500 to start a 30-day free trial of Audible and your first audio book is free. Get Steve Karnacki's new book free at audible.com slash words matter with your 30-day free trial. Speaking of books, Elise, I know you read a lot of them. Talk a little bit about how and when you consume books. I read books whenever I have a chance. The patterns vary. Sometimes I'm reading a book that is about politics and it's something that is dominating the political conversation. So I have to ingest it as quickly as humanly possible. And so I'm downloading it on my Kindle at 12.01 a.m. and trying to cram in as much as possible before Morning Joe and also trying to get some sleep. And then I also love to just pick up a fun fictional read and just not worry about anything and kind of escape. And you're a traditionalist. You read books either in your Kindle or a hard copy of the book? I pretty much read exclusively from my Kindle if it's a new book. If it's a book that's hard to get, I have to, you know, hunt it down on Amazon and order it from a used bookstore but pretty much I'm kind of a Kindle girl now. I got converted, and once you get started, it's hard to go back. Well, we're going to convert you again. I love books as well, and Audible has literally changed my life. I'm a multitasker. Audible is perfect for people like me. I listen to books when I'm cooking. I listen to books when I'm cleaning. I even listen to books when I'm watching a baseball game. I put the game on the television, I mute the sound of the announcers, and I listen to a book. When I'm working out, I listen to a book. It's gotten to where long plane rides don't even bother me anymore. Stuck in traffic? I listen to a book on Audible. And if you switch devices, you'll never lose your place. Audible has literally hundreds of thousands of titles. If there's a book you like, chances are it's available on Audible. And right now, with our special offer, you can go to audible.com slash words matter and start a 30-day free trial. And you'll get one free Audible title with your 30-day free trial. That's audible.com slash words matter. Audible, because words matter. 